Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am your host, Eddie, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Jay. Hello. And despite that rather enthusiastic hello from Jay there, we are this week looking at six games because we are properly trying to push through these and they all sort of fall into the category of JRPGs or RPGs and we are covering Deep Breath, we are covering Secrets of Mana which in the Retro Gamers list is number 70 and is from 1993 and was on the SNES. We are covering Chrono Trigger which is 33 in the list in from 1995 also on the SNES and in ascending order, we are covering Final Fantasy VI, which is number 37 in the list from 1994 on the PS1. We are covering Final Fantasy VII, which is 7 in the list from 1997, also on the PS1. We have Final Fantasy IX, which is 2000, uh, year 2000 for the PS1 and is number 95 in the list. And finally... Ironically, Final Fantasy X from 2001 on the PS2, which is number 76 in the list. So we are trying to batter through these because they're not a particular favourite of yours, are they, Jay? I nearly nodded off then when we were going going through all those. No, I, I I like RPGs. I don't particularly care for these RPGs so much. One of them I'm fonder of than the rest. Uh, which won't be the one people are thinking it's going to be. But yeah, for me, I could play them, or at least I could play some of the earlier ones. But I, I wouldn't. I'm not like an obsessive. I know some people really, really obsess over Final Fantasy and absolutely adore it. And for me, it's just never been that game. I played seven. I enjoyed the first disc of seven probably, and then didn't bother moving on to the other two discs. I don't know if I'd borrowed it or something, and I did just didn't have the time. But yeah, I don't hate them. I just wouldn't choose to play these over, for example, a Paper Mario or an Earthbound or something of that ilk that is essentially the same game, just with a different skin and a different storyline, isn't it? Yeah. I think that the other theme that we could probably say runs through the majority of these games is that from about the second half onwards, the plot seems to go a bit odd. <laughs> to say the least. They all start out quite nice and relatively normal in terms of RPGs and as far as that carries in terms of uh, JRPGs as well. But from around the halfway mark, they all just go off the deep end when it comes to plots. So there's probably going to be spoilers. because <laughs> oh, well, don't worry about that because the Retro Gamer magazine didn't bother because I was just scanning the, the page for Final Fantasy VII and probably the biggest spoiler of the game just emblazoned across the middle of the page. So, yeah, we we won't worry about spoilers because they didn't. No, it's weird because I really enjoyed, is it Breath of Fire? One of the Breath of Fire games I had for PS1. And I really got into that and I really enjoyed that. And I think it was about the same time as Final Fantasy VII. So I don't know if that's what put me off Final Fantasy VII because I was so invested in in, um, the other one that I just didn't get into this one. But... Yeah, that one I didn't mind. I don't know. It, it seems a bit more... I don't know if that changes throughout the games because there's been a load of them as well, hasn't there? But the one that I had was very relaxed and a little bit laid back in terms of the story and it wasn't as in-your-face and serious as Final Fantasy VII and it, it was more playful, I suppose, is is the best term to put it. Yeah, that that is something that you can say about the majority of Final Fantasy games. They do take themselves 
for the most part, very seriously. There are some wackier sides in some of them, like with Chocobo Racing and things like that. And in Seven, where, as the game, uh, the magazine has pointed out, that Cloud dresses up as a woman, which, not entirely out of left field for us these days, um, it, it's part of the course uh, in modern society. But back then, it was obviously plus Japanese. So, obviously, it's weird <laughs> to the Japanese, but... I mean, yeah, in so. 2016, it must have been a big deal because they don't shut up about it in this magazine. <laughs> every every other sentence is about how he's dressed as a woman and that's the best bit of the game. So, I mean, very inclusive of them in 2016 <laughs> to, to claim that's the best bit of the game because back then, like you say, people's ideas of that kind of thing were a bit different, weren't they? And it wasn't as as accepted as it is now, which yeah. it, it should be, but it's, it just wasn't back then. And But yeah, the retro gamer guys... Completely ahead of their time because they were quite happy to point out it was the best bit of the game. No, I, I don't think I got that far. I don't remember that bit anyway. So I feel like that would have stuck in my mind if, if I had got to the point where he started cross-dressing. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, it is very serious. And the sort of the combat mechanics and stuff like that in these ones in particular are, can be a bit too deep for some people. Some people do just like the Pokemon press an attack, press attack on the monster, you attack the monster, the monster's health depletes. Whereas this, you get sort of materia in Final Fantasy VII, you get aeons and stuff like that, and you get summons, and you get other stuff in Final Fantasy X. There's different skills that you can um, sort of branch out into, so you can start off as like a white mage, and you can sort of diversify and become sort of like a half-white, half-black mage in 9 and 10, I think. And I know Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger's story is a bit a link to the past in terms of, I think it flits between times, past and future. And again, it sort of goes a bit wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, and threatens to disappear up its own arse in terms of how convoluted the story gets. And I've not really played Secrets of Mana, to be honest. Uh, Chrono Trigger's the one that I don't mind out of these. I watched about the first 15 minutes of a playthrough on YouTube and had to stop the video because I decided I wanted to play it myself rather than see somebody else play it. So at the time as well, when that happened, it wasn't readily available. It's been released on on the eShop now, hasn't it? But at the time, it wasn't readily available. And I ended up having to import an American copy because DS is a a region free, aren't they? As long as the game will fit in it, it'll play it. So I imported a copy at at quite a lot of expense and then went on holiday. I, I bought it specifically to go on holiday and take it with me because I knew I'd have no distractions and I could just sit and play that while I was on the beach or around the pool or whatever. So I'd got quite far into it. I didn't finish it. And my plan was next time I go on holiday, I'll crack on with that. And then a year later, I, I opened it and I had no idea what I was doing and, <laughs> and realised I'm probably going to have to start it again and, and play Professor Layton for two weeks instead. So, so that was my experience with that one. But I, I did enjoy the bit. The I mean, I sunk quite a few hours into it, so I did enjoy it. Yeah, the story's mental. The story is absolutely crazy. It's, it's not overly difficult to follow though. If if you read all the dialogue and and watch the cutscenes and stuff, it, it's it makes enough sense. It's just it is 
the ramblings of a lunatic in certain places. The people who wrote it must have, I reckon, been sleep deprived or something along those <laughs> lines to come up with some of the stuff that's in it. But that again, like you say, that's par for the course for these kind of games as well, isn't it? There's there's weird, bizarre storylines in a lot of the Final Fantasy ones. I mean, I haven't kept up with Final Fantasy at all past seven. But am I right in thinking that one of them's practically set in present day, where you're in like a Cadillac or something? Because the the original, the earlier ones are set in a fantasy land, aren't they? With and, and it feels like it's a fantasy land in the past. That's the impression I always got. Yeah, they sort of they veer all over the place, really. Because Final Fantasy VII is relatively contemporary. Because they use like fossil fuels and stuff like that, mm. and but they have motorcycles, they have tanks, they have mechs, um, they use swords, but and Barrett's obviously got the massive arm cannon thing. But then you move to Final Fantasy Nine, and that's very sort of swords, soldiers, goblins, wenches, that sort of era, and that sort of feel about it. Final Fantasy Ten is just. Weird, but we will come on to that bit of the story. But yeah, they do feel old by comparison, and I think it's 14 is the one in the Cadillac. Right. So I didn't even realise they'd gone that high. I mean, is that that the latest one, or has it been... 15's the latest one. God, yeah, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I, I tried to get into Kingdom Hearts, because I like Disney. I thought that's a good balance between the heaviness of these games and the playfulness of Disney, I suppose. And then I started trying to figure out what order you meant to play them in, and that put me off ever playing them, because it it was something along the lines of, right, you play the first one. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Then you play this DS one that's got about 10 numbers in the title of it. Then you play this other DS one. Then you play two. Then you might want to go back and play this one again. And I was like, what? Why can they not just be in a line? I don't want to be jumping around all these games. And I never, I think I bought the first one and I don't think I ever booted it up because it just seemed like such a chore to get yeah. through all of them. Uh, I bought three and I, I, like you, thought it can't be that difficult to understand the story. And most of the little side ones, which are, like you say, massively integral to the story all have titles like someone found those fridge magnet, fridge poetry magnets, <laughs> took a handful of them and threw them at the side of a fridge and saw what stuck. Because you get stuff like Dream Drop Distance and like 35th <laughs> and, and 16 eighths and stuff like that. I've just found it. Kingdom Hearts 358 divided by two days. Like who, <laughs> yeah. who did that and went, yeah, that's that'll do. That's a good name for it. We definitely don't need to come up with something better than that. <laughs> No one will ever mispronounce or abuse that name <laughs> at all. <laughs> but yeah, it, and yeah, it just lost me within the first 30 minutes where you're expected to understand all the characters' motivations and who... And they just keep... They offhandedly keep mentioning characters that have obviously been quite important inside ones. And like I'm going to buy a PS1, a PS2... A DS, I think one was on the Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Advance or something like that, and then the PS4. Was it a Vita one or something? Was there a Vita? Ex- yeah, it might be a Vita exclusive or something. But yeah, they're they're well spread out, and they've never done a collection where everything's in it because I don't think they can. 
I don't think licensing wise they could ever put them all on one like a PS5 disc that had every game on it because some of them belong to Nintendo probably if they're only for DS and then they'll have dual screen controls that you can't replicate on a console anyway so getting through that would be a chore I am still tempted to play the first one because I like the idea of teaming up with Disney characters in an RPG it just it sounds so much fun and they've just made it so complicated and so inaccessible for people that didn't play it as it came out that yeah I mean I'd love it if they just went back to the drawing board and went right we're just going to start it all again all the other games completely separate to this we're starting the story again we're going to change it all and then just go from the start so people like me that were too lazy to play it the first time around can actually get involved yeah it does surprise me that because that's Square Enix as well, isn't it? Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they, they do like a good old remaster or a, and a good old remake. As we've seen recently with Final Fantasy VII, obviously, it, it is a fan favourite. But they were announcing the remake on, of it for about seven or eight years before they finally released it. And then they only <laughs> released half a game because I think it's only, it only goes up to the end of the second disc, the first, the new remake version of it. And they're doing a second part of it. And then they've re-released that as well with a load of other bonus content chucked in on top of it. So the one you had on the PS4 is no longer the premium version. The one on the PS5 is because they added a load of extra chapters and a couple of characters it back in. And it's just like, just, just remake the game. Just, just don't... <laughs> I wonder if that decision was because they couldn't get it finished in time or whether it was someone going, I'll oh, chop it in half and then we can have 30 quid for both. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know they got I know they got it all for 30 quid back in the day with three discs in a little jewel case, but no, sell them half of it, get them desperate for the second half and then we'll put the price up. It just that's that seems to be the mentality of big game yeah. developers now, doesn't it? Which is sad to say, but I mean, it used to be that you crammed in as much as you could. When when you couldn't do online updates and, and that kind of thing, you put as much as you could on them discs, didn't you? They had like bonus content on there. They had trailers for other games that were coming out on some games. It would just get everything on there and fill every inch of that disc and give people the best value you can. And now it just seems like they've gone completely the opposite way. But we've moaned about this a million times already. Unfortunately, back to the JRPGs. Uh, by comparison, Secret of Mana is relatively safe. And it's by Square as again. So it, it sort of ran alongside Final Fantasy. And yeah, it, it's just very... Very, it's sort of, it's still set in a high fantasy as it's termed universe, and the game only follows three main characters. Which by the time you get into like Final Fantasy X, you you have like a full cast of characters that you can add to your party and stuff like that. But yeah, so, so three heroes, and they're pr- like trying to save a kingdom from being overrun by an empire using a flying sky fortress which is relatively sane compared to everything else that goes on in Final Fantasy. It always reminded me, I think it's the box more than anything, it reminded me of, um, do you remember the, the that film, Fern Gully? Yes. It just, it feels, it's got the same vibe where they're like trying to save the environment from this overlord that wants to turn it all into, I don't know, industrial areas or whatever. And it's, yeah, that one was about saving a rainforest, wasn't it? And this has got that vibe if you look at the cover of the game. It looks very similar to to like the Fern Gully trailers and stuff. And the game itself, 
if you looked at a screenshot of the game, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was a link to the past in a lot of the shots. It's it's got a very, very similar style, isn't it? If it wasn't for the energy bars at the bottom of the screen, when you're in a village, you could mistake it for a Zelda game. Yeah, it's it's very SNES, and like you say, it is very um, linked to the past. And it was one of those games that was always sort of, to me anyway, sort of like mythological, uh, on a level of no one owned it. And if you did own it, you you were super lucky to have a found it for a reasonable price and kept hold of it. And I think the first time I ever saw a physical copy of it, I was walking past a game station in Sheffield and they had the full cardboard box in the window and it was something stupid like 250 quid. Yeah, it's a valuable one, isn't it? If you've got a full complete one. I mean, it, it only it came out for the SNES and then randomly it came out for the FOMA 903i which was a Japanese flip phone, so I bet that was absolutely amazing, trying to play this really in-depth RPG on a flip phone. They did an iOS and an Android version eventually, which, again, probably a bit better, but I can't imagine they were that great. And then, yeah, they've re-released it a couple of times, PlayStation 4, Vita, Windows. Never been on on a Microsoft console, strangely enough. Uh, not not on the Switch, by the look of it, although I thought it had gone on to the Virtual Console, so maybe these are just actual releases. I, I know they did a remaster version of it where they did a um, Link's Awakening zhuzh with it, and they neatened the graphics up, and they made it a little bit sharper. I can't remember if they added any extra content to it or anything like that, or whether they just literally updated and ported the title across and just made the graphics look prettier. But yeah, it, it's it's a safe game, and I just find it very odd that for how long ago it was and how it did run alongside the Final Fantasy series, they seem to have taken that decisive choice of making Secrets of Mana, because it has had sequels um, and spin-offs, to make it so safe. And then use the Final Fantasy series to sort of really explore how weird they can get with them um, with RPGs. Yeah, it's, I'm amazed they've not done a crossover. To be honest, they they love a good crossover, don't they? So I'm surprised they've not pulled one set of characters into the other for for anything. Yeah, and then if so, when you move on to the likes of Final Fantasy VII, you obviously have you're setting a an industrial revolution sort of moment where. Everything, like I said, was running off natural resources, natural gases. They're obviously pumping. They're using the core of the planet, essentially, um, and the the energy you get from that. And Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett are eco-protesters and eco-warriors, but to a violent degree. And I know it was it was sort of around the time that you were getting that thing in real life. You were getting people who were tying themselves to trees and aggressively protesting against things like deforestation and using fossil fuels. So I suppose it's drawing sort of a contemporary message there, but then from about the halfway point, it becomes about a space being who has come to Earth, died in the process, she was called Genova, and Sephiroth, the guy with the long hair and the long sword, was created from her genetics and to be a super soldier, and you just think, where did this come from out of all that? Out of this plot to save the universe from uh, this company that's determined to milk the planet for its natural resources? Go. 
so far off course and start talking about alien life forms. So to touch on your point there about there being sequels and spin-offs, do you want to guess how many games are in the Secret of Mana canon? Um, 12? 16. Jesus. So interestingly, it's and I didn't realise this until I've just had a look into it, it spun off from a Final Fantasy game initially. So in 1991, there was a Game Boy game called Final Fantasy Adventure. And in Europe, it was released as Mystic Quest. So I don't think it even went under the Final Fantasy name in Europe. But that is the that is canonically the first game in the Secret of Mana or the Mana series. So the characters must have been in that, and then they got separated into their own game. So from there, you had... That was 91. 93, you had Secret of Mana. 95, you had Trials of Mana. 99, you had Legend of Mana. 2003, Sword of Mana. 2006, Children, Friends, and Dawn of Mana, all in the same year. So I don't know if they were cross-platform or they were like Zelda, where you get two versions of the same game or something like that. I... Because one of them doesn't even have a, a Wikipedia page, so I don't know what's going on with them. 2007, they followed it up strong with Heroes of Mana for the DS. And then there was quite a period where there wasn't any, and then it went over to a different development team. So all of those have been made by the same team. And then in 2013, they did Circle of Mana, 2014, Rise of Mana, 2016, Adventures of Mana... 2017, Collection of Mana. 2018, Secret of Mana Remake, but remade by the new team. So, probably not quite the same game. 2020, Trials of Mana, remade by the new team. And then in 2022, the original team came back and made Echoes of Mana. So, there's a lot of mana going on. (laughs) I thought there was one game before I went on that article, so that's really opened my eyes. I mean, that is mental, that that level of titles for a series that's relatively unknown. I reckon if you went yeah. to a lot of people and went, oh, have you heard A Secret of Mana? They'd be probably go, no, or they'd go, oh, the, the SNES game. They wouldn't yeah. be citing the PS4 and the PS3 titles <laughs> and the DS ones and stuff. It just seems crazy that they've managed to get that many games out of it. And then that the original team have come back after like a huge gap between 2007 <laughs> and 2022 and made... A new title, obviously had the nose put out by <laughs> this new company muscling in, so wanted to go back to it themselves. And like you say, that not one of them has received any sort of commercial fanfare. It's not been a celebrated thing. So things like Dragon Quest is in Japan. It's one of those where they take a national holiday when it comes out, and th- this just sort of as a series, flies under the radar. I know Final Fantasy, every time one of those comes out, it is marketed out the arse. But mm. this, for how many games there have been in the series, there's got to be an, a call for it. And there's got to be some decent sales behind it, but never heard it, never played one outside of briefly, I think, the original. And I think that was a ROM. Yeah, I think I, I feel like it's on that Game Pass thing. Or it's on the SNES Mini, one of the two. Because I'm, I've am i played it, and I don't know where, like you say. If it wasn't on one of those, I don't know where I've played it. I mean, it, it they review quite well as well. So the Final Fantasy Adventure, the one that kickstarted it all, got a 79% on Metacritic. Secret of Mana varies massively by platform, from 87% on SNES to 51% on Vita. 
So I'm guessing the Vita version's not up to much. Trials got like a 75-ish average. Legends, 73. Swords, 72. They start to dip a bit below that. Children, 65. Dawn of Mana on PS2, 57. So that's the, the real stinker of the bunch by the look of it. But to say how many there have been, they don't review badly. And like you say, I've never, you don't hear about them over here. I don't know. Maybe in Japan it's a big deal. But you've just said over there even it's not as big as some of the other games that come out. Like you say, under the radar, but maybe underappreciated games because the people who do play them seem to really like them. Yeah, and I suppose that that links it quite nicely with Chrono Trigger, because again, I think that is an underappreciated gem, probably because of how difficult it was to get hold of. Um, Because again, I don't recall anyone I knew owning it for the SNES. The first time I properly saw and played a version was on the DS. Um, I know it has been ported elsewhere since that. I think it's probably on Steam now. But yeah, again, really underappreciated and not many people know about it. No, and also a game that's got more games to the series than you realise. So the original Chrono Trigger, which most people are probably the most familiar with, uh, there was one called Radical Dreamers, which was a. it was only in Japan. It was a text-based game. In 1996, oh. so I can't imagine that was fantastic either. But then Chrono Cross, I think a lot of people know, because that was a PlayStation game, which is sort of a remake of the text adventure one. So that right. then becomes the the sequel, essentially. Like They, they did away with Radical Dreamers and, and made this the official sequel because it's a proper game. And then, yeah, it, it looks, it's a bit muddy where it sort of goes from there. Because there was talk of a game called Chrono Break coming out, which was going to be the third entry. And I think trademarks and everything were filed, but Square just decided against making it. So it looks like at the minute that series is is dead. And they, like I say, they re-released it on the Virtual Console and I think it got a little bit of a resurgence, but that was a while back now. So it doesn't look like it did enough to get another game in the, in the series. But yeah, as I say, of all these, that's the one I've played the most and probably enjoyed the most, just because the story is a bit wacky and it is a bit out of left field, but it embraces that rather than Final Fantasy going, oh, we ride these big chickens, but we're a serious game and there's going to be death and stuff, but we're going to ride these chickens again now. And it's so the disparity in that is a bit of a strange one. Chrono Trigger looks like it's done now, so if you want to play them, get the first two and enjoy them, but you're probably not getting any more, whereas Final Fantasy is going to go forever, isn't it? Until the until the Earth burns, probably. Ironically, <laughs> yeah. When, <laughs> at the very end of time, when uh, when the the sun's run out, there'll just be people sat in little houses playing Final Fantasy thirty seven or something, just trying um, desperately trying to get through it all before before <laughs> the end comes. What I didn't realize was that Blue Dragon, which was a release title for the three sixty was actually supposed to be an extension of Chrono Trigger. And I was just like, it didn't even look like it. I was going to mention Blue Dragon, because that's another one that I have enjoyed playing, because it it doesn't take itself at all seriously. Very cartoony, very tongue-in-cheek in a lot of the writing. You get a useless character, and they make it very clear that he's a useless character to have. But seeing as you can't, you haven't got anyone else in your party at the time, you've got to use him. And I think eventually he does become useful, but yeah, they're very clear in the early stages that this uh, this little character you get, I can't remember his name now, is not the best person to have around, <laughs> and he's incredibly annoying. 
but you just don't have a choice. And I really enjoyed uh, that. That that was the game I was playing when my original Xbox 360 red ringed. So oh, I'll never no. forget it. I was halfway through a fight and it all just went to little squares and I could still hear it going on in the background. And I thought, oh, is this is this a Metal Gear Solid type? It's winding <laughs> me up. And then it just, everything froze. And I was like, oh, okay. Restarted it, red ring. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Banged it on the radiator. That managed to managed to revive it long enough for me to get all my data and stuff off it and then went out and bought another one. <sighs> Those were the days. Thank God they don't make consoles like that anymore. <laughs> So yeah, that one holds a special place in my heart, but not for not for the be- <laughs> the best reason. But yeah, it's nothing like Chrono Trigger, is it? You get animal spirits that come out and fight for you and stuff. It it's it's not even close. They must have done a lot of work on it after deciding it wasn't going to be a Chrono Trigger game, if that is the case. I mean, there are flying ships and stuff in it, so maybe the yeah. influence for that bit was from it. But yeah, it's. Blue, I like Blue Dragon. It's a it's a fun one, and it's it was dirt cheap, even like a couple of months after release, because everyone ended up with a copy of it, didn't they? So you could just get it really cheap in in Game Station if you could bear the smell of bo and disappointment and long enough to go and pick a copy up. <laughs> oh, so to, I'll I, I kind of want to end on Final Fantasy IX because it's my favorite one of the series, but Final Fantasy X and. Unlike Chrono Trigger and uh, Secret of Mana, this hasn't held up so well. I know Final Fantasy VII hasn't held up very well in terms of the art style because they all look like they were made out of melted plasticine. But it's a slightly pretty game in terms of the pre-rendered backgrounds in Final Fantasy X. The character animation and the voice acting is awful in Final Fantasy X. It is horrific. There is, if if the listeners want to want to grab themselves a piece of uh, history that will make them want to curl up into a ball and die of humiliation, listen to the conversation between. I call him Tidus. I know people and fans and people who work with the Final <laughs> Fantasy universe refer to him as Tidus, but I refuse to. His name is Tidus. Um, so the main character, Tidus, and Yuna, who is the uh, white mage summoner. And there is a, f- a scene where they are forcibly making themselves laugh to sort of cheer themselves up sort of thing. So when everything's going to shit around them, Yuna basically tells Tidus that she was told that making yourself laugh or just laughing out loud makes you feel better on a natural level. And apparently it works. And there is this scene where they're both laughing into the void, basically. And the voice acting on it is one of the worst things I think I've ever had to witness. If I can find the clip of it, I'll splice it in somewhere around here. Ha ha ha!
and it's quite early in the game as well. So it's not like one of those where you'll you'll miss it. It is quite early on, and it's the thing that you have to replay a lot if you want to get back into the game. And and that story in particular. So you start out and you are in a city. It gets attacked by this giant mutant whale thing that then sends you through a portal to another area of what you assume is the planet. You then find out through a lot of expositionary dialogue and about 40 hours worth of gameplay that you, Tidus, are essentially a ghost footballer from the future and you've been sent back into the past, but you have a corporeal body and everything's part of a dream. And it's it's just... It, none of it makes sense at all because... Give up. You're making this up just to try and con people that haven't played it, surely. That cannot be a proper storyline from a game. <laughs> Honest to God, Tidus and his his sort of surrogate father figure, Auron, who's like the the berserker in it, so a massive sword, always has sort of one eye closed. Traditional Japanese uh, idea of what a badass character is, drinks sake from a flask and stuff like that. He is, him and Tidus are both dreams of a an entity called the Faith, which is essentially a god figure. And they are both dreams, and the plot of the story is you have to wake the Faith up, but in doing so, obviously, Tidus and Oren disappear from the world. But because of the dream of the Faith, you've been sent back in time and given corporeal bodies to help Yuna who's a summoner who's been sort of tasked with defeating Sin, who is the giant floating whale thing that keeps attacking places. It's just... And then you throw, like, Blitzball, which is underwater football, into the mix, and it's just like, f***ing hell, Square Enix. Just, what is wrong with you? It sounds like they watched Quantum Leap and got confused and just went, yeah, this, this is what we want for the game, but... How can we just tweak it a little bit so it's obvious we've not ripped off a 70s and 80s TV show? And that's what you've... That just sounds... I'd, I'm glad I've never played it now. Because if that if I got 40 hours into it and that was the explanation they gave, I'd smash something up. That'd be it. It'd be done. Final Fantasy ten is sort of Quantum Leap as directed by a narcoleptic. So he's watched <laughs> Quantum Leap loads of times, but he's kept falling asleep in bits of it and woken up partway through another episode. And he's just gone, <laughs> this, oh, this episode's great, and stitched this bit into it and woken up during the four episodes on. And it's just, oh, yeah, this this is a good idea as well. And they've just mashed this unholy abomination together and gone, this is a story. No, I'm glad I've missed that one. Final yeah. Fantasy VI, let's have a little... Let's at least cover it off before we get to nine. I mean, I haven't played it for, God, how long will it have been? Probably 20 years or more. I've played it ages ago. And again, it would have been not mine. I would have been playing it at somebody else's house and probably joined it halfway through the story and seen probably a couple of hours of it and then left it and never played it again. I think it's one that I would get on with most out of this list, probably, because I like the the 2D isometric view sprite type of game, which is probably why I like Chrono Trigger more than the others. And I probably wouldn't mind Secret of Mana if there wasn't 200 games to play through to get to the end of the story. But Final Fantasy VI, I think, would be one that I'd be interested in playing. I just don't have that time because I know it's going to be like a 20, 30 hour game. 
and I wouldn't know where to start. And it'd be one of those that I got really into it, stopped playing it for a couple of weeks and then couldn't remember a thing about what I was doing. So I've never started it. And again, I think, is it on the SNES Mini or something like that? Uh, it, it feels like it would be a game that would be on one of those things or the virtual store or something. I think it is. And I think it's also part of, it was part of the Wii's virtual console. So I would assume at some point it will come across to the Switch. Um, but technically it's Final Fantasy 3 for North American audiences anyway, because we didn't get the the original five. We got, I think we got some sort of, I think we got three, five and six Yeah, that we yeah, called so, one, two and three. Yeah, so to answer the question, the original Super Famicom version of Final Fantasy 6 is included in the Japan only Super Famicom Classic Edition. While well, the North American port of Final Fantasy 3 is featured for the International SNES Classic. Now, I'm pretty sure I remember that on the SNES Classic, if you change the language on it, you get Japan's games rather than the EU or the American ones. So you probably can access what is Final Fantasy 6, but that's what 3 is anyway, from what you've just said. So you may as well play the yeah. American version of 3. You're getting the same game. So, yeah, if, if you can find an SNES classic anywhere these days, because I, I know they were super rare and super hard to get hold of, weren't they, at one point? I don't know if that changed. It's on there, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the virtual console and Switch if we had a look. So if that's something that, that interests you to go back to play, probably the easiest accessible early Final Fantasy game, that's probably a good place to start because from what I remember of it, and it isn't much, the story's not too bogged down in lore by that point, so you should be able to go into it and and play it almost as a standalone experience because, like you said, us in America got half of them chopped out of the middle of it anyway. <laughs> we sort of jumped between one, one, three, and six, or whatever you just said. So the storyline can't have been that important <laughs> because we wouldn't have had a clue what was going on. I, to be honest, I don't think any Final Fantasy, aside from ones that are telegraphed as direct sequels, hmm. are sequel. Or I don't even know if they're set in the same universe or if it's like a multiverse thing that they've got going on, but I don't think anyone links directly. Aside from you get recurring characters like Sid, who's normally hmm. the pilot for the like the airship or something like that, you get telegraphed characters and obviously chocobos and things like that appear in all of them, or the majority of them, but they're not connected in any way it's similar to ocarina and majora's i suppose you're getting all the same sprites and some of the characters are similar to who they were in the previous game but other than link nothing carries through particularly and and in final fantasy even more so because i don't think it's the same main character from one game to the next is it so you've not even got that link pardon the pun to uh to guide you through them. So yeah, you're probably all right with any of these as a standalone experience. But from what I've just heard, I wouldn't recommend 10 because it just sounds absolutely mental. No, do not recommend 10. And I don't recommend 10 to either because that is a direct sequel to 10. And it's similar subject matter because Yuna's trying to find Tidus, who despite the fact that she's been told was a f***ing dream. And now that he's disappeared... He's never coming back. She's determined to find him, you know, in the typical Japanese fashion of, oh, if I wish hard enough, I'm sure I'm sure I'll be able to find him. Load of rotten nonsense that it is. <laughs> but I suppose that the link of the main characters has up until now been that they all vaguely look similar. 
they're all sort of traditional androgynous anime pretty boys with hair that looks like they did it with cement <laughs> and a and a kind of spray paint because they've all got angular hair hmm. and are really good with a sword. It's not enough to draw me in, I'm afraid. <laughs> angular hair and good with a sword, I'm out. You want to talk about Nine. I've Again, I have no experience with Nine, so I'll let you uh, take the helm on this one. I think you're probably going to be taking the helm on scoring most of these as well, <laughs> just to just to give you that to, to be thinking about while you go over Nine. But yeah, what, what makes Nine so good compared to the others? Because nine is relatively simple. A bit, I mean, six is simple in terms of it's sort of like a second industrial revolution, and it's you know, uh, there's one sort of entity that's trying to take over the world with industry, nature versus machine, that kind of stuff. But then it throws in a load of stuff like te- unwanted teen pregnancy in there, and it's just like. Well, Okay, um, it's a bit serious for a fantasy game, really. I know there's death and stuff like that, and Im- implied death of the animals that you're currently slaughtering through to get yourself to level up, but it, it does take some quite serious uh, yes. turns. It's not what you want in your escapism, is it? <laughs> no. With, with problems <laughs> that you don't want to deal with, like you wouldn't want to deal with in real life, so you definitely don't want to deal with it in a virtual <laughs> life. But nine is basically it's a war between nations and it's a so it's medieval fantasy. So your main character Zidane is a um it's a thief basically who is part of a carnival troupe who turn up to kingdoms as part of the carnival and basically rob them blind. And then you sort of stumble onto a a plot to kidnap the princess of the nation that you're currently performing for. You then meet her, Princess Garnet is her name, and you meet her guardian, who is a traditional knight in full armour, who's a bit of a bit of a buffoon, really. He, he means well, but he's, he's not very particularly good at his job and very serious, whereas other characters like Zidane's quite light-hearted and a bit jokey with him being a thief and a sort of con man. Um, you then get Vivi, who is quite a beloved character among Final Fantasy fans. And he's the mage, the little short mage with the really tall hat. And all you can see of him is like under his hat is sort of black and then just two gold eyes peering out from underneath it. And he's small. He lacks confidence in his ability, um, but he's your dark mage. You meet a giant frog who just likes eating stuff and is really, really simplistic in the way he speaks. You meet rogues and you, and you sort of cover all bases of that traditional fantasy element. So you get like a, a rat paladin who's got like a long spear. You've got a man, uh, one of the characters fights with his fists and it's quite brawny. You get your traditional white mage who's Garnet, who's traditional woman in sort of fantasy genre. She gets to be sort of like the woman scorned and the femme fatale all in one because they can't be bothered to pull in three female characters to cover <laughs> one of each. And yeah, and Zidane is the charming roguish cap- uh, captain of the team, basically, who comes across a bit like Han Solo. So again, you can see the sort of parallels with... Star Wars, you can see parallels with sort of Lord of the Rings, and I think that's why it's a better one because it's one, it's more relatable, and it's more of a parallel with other fantasy genre tropes in literature and in films. And the storyline's easy to understand. 
for a start and the combat is not particularly challenging it does revert back to that press attack hit enemy lower their health bar heal yourself when you need to heal there's not much outside of that i mean that does sound a lot better than 10 so if i was going to play any of the modern ones that one sounds much more appealing shall we give them a score tell you what i'll do let's let's do it let's take all the thinking out of it for you i'll do it quick fire I'll just read a game out, and then you give me a score, and we'll note it down and, and be done with it. So the only one I can really weigh in on is Chrono Trigger, uh, and I'd probably give it around a 72. That's fair. I was going to say 75, but I think that's a little bit high, because it's not a game that I absolutely love, and I know we've got a lot of games at that top end now on the list so i'd go with 72 just knock a few off because it's fun and it is pretty good but it's i wouldn't pick it above a load of other games so can't really give it higher than that so let's go secret and mana having never played it or played it briefly and the problem is i'm conflicted because i know how influential it was and i Mm. know how but it's i suppose you can only consider it influential if it had a wide market and it didn't because it was like gold dust outside of Japan. So I would probably put it around like the mid 60s, 65. I was thinking 65 because it looks nice. Yeah. It, it plays well from what I remember. It's not too difficult to get into. It's not overly complicated. Um, the storyline is, but the, the actual interactions and building your character and stuff up isn't too bad. So yeah, I think 65 is a fair one. Right, Final Fantasy VI. haven't played it properly at all, and it's been decades since I have. So I'd probably put it... I'd probably put it lower than Mana. So I'd probably say 62, 63. Yeah, we'll go 62, that's fair. Because as I say, I've, I've watched it played for a few hours, probably 20 years ago. It looked all right. It looked fun enough. I think it's probably one that I would like to go and play. If if we'd have had more, because we, we sort of spur of the moment this episode, didn't we, earlier today. If I'd have had more time, I think that's the one out of all of these that I would have gone back and played before we did this. So maybe we'll do at some point a little update video on these and if we've had time to play them a bit more. Uh, we might update these scores at a later date. So Final Fantasy VII, I think for the popularity aspect, you've got to give it some points because it is, it's the one everyone knows, isn't it? Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, and I think it's probably what drove a lot of people towards RPGs from that point. So I would probably say, did you say 75 for Chrono Trigger? 72. I'd say 70, 71. Let's give it a 71. I can hear anime fanboys the world over sharpening really impractically <laughs> large fake swords ready to come gutters both but it, yeah as it's personal preference and it's not one that i love if i'd got through all three discs i think and really got the full story i probably would more but i just never did i, I got to the end of disc one i maybe put disc two in and, and played a little bit of that, and that's where I fell off of it. And I know some of my friends absolutely love Seven, and I can appreciate that. And if you think it's 100, by all means, that's that's a fair opinion, because you've had a completely different experience to what we've had with it. But for us, it just that's where it sits on the list. There are dozens of games that I would pick to play before I sat down and played Final Fantasy Seven, especially these days, because you can't just 
put a little bit of time into it, can you? It's not even a game where you could do half an hour a night, I don't think, because by the time you got to somewhere where you needed to start going through and got all the gear you needed, saw a couple of cutscenes, it'd be time to turn it off and you'd have to start again on the next night. So, yeah, the the point of our lives that we are at, where we don't have as much time as we used to, I think justifies this lower score because it isn't one that, that we'd play that often. I mean, in terms of merit and how much other people enjoy it, yeah, it'd be right up there. But I think in terms of what we think, that's probably a fair one. I can't, I can't even say that it's redeemable with the remake because they've split it down the middle and are flogging you both for about 60 quid each now. And the fact that they've remade the remake with added stuff into it within the space of a couple of years because they wanted it upgraded on the PS5. It is it is a good remake. It is a good, solid remake of the original first half of the game. But it's the very fact that they've split it down the middle. And I, I find that really unforgivable. The, the fact that we had a game 30 years ago that was across three discs and they gave it all in one package and now they're trying to charge you triple, quadruple for essentially the same game. Just prettier. If you're angry at us giving it a 71, bear in mind we were going to give it a 99 until Square Enix did that. So go and take your anger out on them. (laughs) If you believe that that is a low score because it's their fault for doing that and and robbing you poor people that love Final Fantasy VII. Right, Final Fantasy X. I'll jump over nine. We'll do nine last. I'd say fifties. Oh, based on what I heard earlier on, I'd be tempted to go lower than that. I I played it a lot when I was in college because I had a PS2. It was my primary console, and I did get into it. And you do sort of with Final Fantasy, you get into that grind of you want to level your character up. It's a bit like Warcraft, where the level-up sound effect becomes more sort of cherishable to you than your child's first word. You just want to hear that whoosh sound effect where you've leveled up again and you've beaten another bigger monster. But with the benefits of hindsight, that story is awful. The graphics haven't aged well. The voice acting is an atrocity. And even the side quest stuff isn't fun. Because I think... The thing that tells you whether it's a good RPG or a bad RPG is whether you waste away hours of your playtime picking up side quests and doing them for the laugh and doing them for the hell of it and doing them because you're enjoying spending time in that world. Skyrim, prime example. Fallout, prime example. Zelda, um, the new ones in particular, so Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, prime examples of wanting to do stuff just to explore more of the world. Final Fantasy X's are ridiculous busy work along the lines of dodge lightning strikes a hundred times in a row and you'll get an ultimate weapon once you've defeated this dark Aeon that's so over-leveled you'll never beat it until you max level your character. And it's like, this isn't fun. This is not fun. This is needless busy work. Just before we score it, I just thought I'd have a look at why Retro Gamer puts it so many positions above nine. Uh, So this is their rationale for it being in number 76. It was the first Final Fantasy to be fully voiced, if perhaps not all that well. So they're starting off with a, it's a positive, but it's also a negative, which is a great place to start. The Sphere Grid offered unparalleled customization of your chosen party. Eddie's not looking happy. It really didn't. It really (laughs) didn't. You were... 
each character had their own class. So you were like a range fighter, you were a brawler, you were a white mage or black mage, and your initial sphere grid was limited to health, dexterity. It leveled up sort of like your key stats, and you could choose which way around to level them up. And then you could select what sort of abilities to learn, but you were confined by that class limitation. Once you got to the end of your individual sphere grid, you could then use like really rare spheres to sort of break a barrier and then move into a neighbouring sphere grid to learn those abilities of another class. But that's only like using skill points to upgrade specific attributes within a normal rpg it's not revolutionary it's just repainting the walls shifting to full 3d environments gave a real sense of exploration and discovery they were predominantly they were 3d but they were also (laughs) pre-rendered so resident evil 3 used 3d pre-rendered backgrounds Right, I'm looking at your face when I read this one out. Blitzball remains one of the single greatest minigames of all time. Of all time. Not my words, Carol, the words of Top Gear magazine. It's horrible. It is genuinely horrible. I'm not a football fan anyway, um, so it probably doesn't help. But the control scheme isn't suited to football. You'd have been better off doing something like, oh, for God's sake, the football game that it was free on the PS4 and you do it in cars. Oh, Rocket League. Rocket League. If they'd done it like that... Oh, they've they've, they've taken shots at you here on this next point. Oh, here we go. The laughing scene is supposed to be awful. It's all about Titus and Yuna's awkwardness, after all. So they're saying it's intentionally voiced badly. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Seymour's hair looks like antlers but apparently it isn't that's a positive for the game then (laughs) that's a positive sort of ridiculous character design we're considering a uh, positive attribute now are we Otherworld actually evolved into a great piece of music when recorded by Uematsu's band The Black Mages the soundtrack is one thing I will say for Final Fantasy X the soundtrack is stunning um, but most Final Fantasy soundtracks are really well regarded. If anything from the battle theme to the victory themes to stuff like that. But yeah, some of the tracks from Final Fantasy X are really, really nice. But that I wouldn't say that that sort of glosses over the other <laughs> downfalls of an otherwise yeah of a game really. Now this next point, I think they must have had a bet going in the retro gamer office to see how they could squeeze in the most obscure word for an, a straightforward word. It's like somebody's there's eaten a thesaurus and gone, right, this is the one I'm going to use. Speaking of which, Final Fantasy X is the last mainline game where Uematsu was the primary tunesmith. Tunesmith. Composer? <laughs> Not composer then, now. Musician. <laughs> there's, there's loads of words that they could have used. Tunesmith. <laughs> Post-game secrets like the Dark Aeons afforded the game even more longevity. Busy work. Needless, (laughs) busy work. You know, if you look up composer and you go with synonyms, you get writer, songster, melodist, serialist, singer-songwriter, songsmith, and the last one on the list is (laughs) tunesmith. So some... (laughs) Sir, at the uh, Retro Gamer magazine was just like, let's think of a really obscure word for composer and try and make ourselves sound clever. Well, you didn't. I like songster. I don't know. That can't be a real word, surely. <laughs> Apparently it is. And the last point, 
which is this is the best one. I can't wait for you to uh, to hear this one. Making I can't pronounce this Kimari such a waste of space made it much easier to decide on a solid party. So they're basically saying because they screwed up one of the characters so much, it's a positive for the game because you don't have a dilemma on your hands. But uh, that does work. But at the same time, I found that the combat in it was to a point where you felt like switching characters out. So you were rotating your cast constantly apart from Tidus because he was your sort of all-rounder. Hmm. But I, did, I never thought Kamari was particularly bad. Um, oh, well, apparently the garbage, according to, according oh, to the, go. the fans. So there you go, out of touch. So, 10, what score are we giving it? 50? Lower? Oh, 50, yeah, 51. 51. It's solidly designed. It's not glitchy. It plays well. I just can't get past the voice acting, the story, and the fact that it deserved a spin-off. I'm adding a point on because it, it had such a good tune, Smith. Unit of 52. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, Final Fantasy IX, which is the lowest one on the list, but the one you seem to hold in most regard. I, I want to give it 80. 81, 82. I'll give it an 81. I don't, I don't, I have no horse in this race. So I don't really. I really don't mind where we put it. I think if people do want to play quite a simplistic Final Fantasy that covers all the tropes and they don't want a futuristic one or a contemporary one and they do just like that old sort of medieval feel to an RPG with a little bit of fantasy thrown in, I think there's plenty of humour in it. The cutscenes are still really nicely animated. Um, It's still at that point for the uh, PS1 era graphics where the most of the background's still sort of baked in pre-render and the sprites are still a little bit chunky until you get into combat and it's sort of this really weird hand-drawn effect art style to the characters while they're in combat. While they're running about in free roam in the game, they're a bit clunky and a bit janky but it is a nice game to play and the plot's understandable and it's not it's understandable but it's not basic um and there are some nice character moments within it uh it and it i think it's on uh ps4 i think it was one of those that they re-released so they did Mm. seven they did nine i think they did 10 as a remaster sort of thing but yeah it's worth going back to I'm tempted to give it a go. I'll add it to the ever-growing list that we have of every episode of I'm going to go back and play that game. Uh, I'll stick it on there because that one sounds quite interesting. I like the idea of the the carnival. I might give that one a look. That covers all of them, and who would have thought we'd get an hour out of six games? Uh, six games that we didn't really have a lot to say about. <laughs> yeah, I thought we'd struggle today. I'd got a whole backup plan, and that's just completely into the wind now because... <laughs> We've not got time to do that, so maybe, I don't know, if we're both free after this, we might record a, a bonus episode. I mean, the the content that I was going to include was time-specific, though, so it won't be a Patreon exclusive. We might just treat you all to an extra episode on the main channel. Who knows? A bonus, a DLC episode that isn't Patreon exclusive would be a, a new one for us, but you never know. So yeah, if we've got time, we'll do that. It's not the most interesting topic in the world, I'm not going to lie, but... <laughs> It was something I was quite interested to talk about. Anyway, unless you've got anything else to add on on JRPGs, I mean, that's them all cleared off the list, I think, isn't it? We don't have to worry about them anymore. Yeah, I think so. 
It's just Shenmue now. There's other stuff. Oh, don't. There's there's other stuff on that list that we do have to worry about because I've just been going, just flicking through the book there while you were talking, and there's some stuff on there that I don't even want to look at. There's, there's games on there that I <laughs> I would genuinely go out of my way not to play. So we'll have to figure that out. I mean, we've we've already thrown the concept out the window because we said we were going to play all these games before we did the episodes, and then today we've both gone. Well, oh, I've never played that one. I've never played that one. <laughs> but we we have a grasp of them at least, I suppose. And uh, and yeah, the ones that we really care about, we do try and play before we we record. So as I've already pointed out a million times, Shenmue, it's on it's. <laughs> It's on my desk, ready to be played. I just can't bring myself to do it. But if that is the case, I will get on to the Patreon shout-outs because we've we've gone over, which is amazing. Although I don't know how much I'll have to cut out of our inane ramblings. There was a point when my headphones died again. I kept that quiet, but that happened again. So I may have to trim some of that bit out. But yeah, the Patreon shout-out. We have got in the couple of coins tier, we've got Lee this week. In the Bucket Kicker tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. If anybody else would like to join them, there is a brand new Patreon episode out there that's about N64 games, which isn't too bad. If you look past the fact that I am hopped up on cold medicine and don't know what's happening for most of it. But that might be an incentive to go and listen to it, I don't know. We've also got one recorded that'll be going on there when that one reaches its natural progression and, and we've got a new episode to go up. We might do another episode after this and, and we'll leave it to the gods as to whether it goes on Patreon first or whether we just stick it straight out to everyone else. But if you want to join patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers, you can get all the extra content for as little as a fiver a month, I believe it is, which I, I hate it when other people do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You can't get a meal deal for a fiver a month. <laughs> so if you want to uh, chuck it our way, it will help massively because we do have to cover extra costs now, which is annoying as it is. It does actually bring us some new features. So when we do upgrade our account, you might notice a few uh, a few changes. I think we'll get higher audio quality and, and all that kind of thing. So for the betterment of the channel, I suppose, even though we're being gouged. <laughs> To uh, to upgrade, I I kind of feel like doing a pre-recorded thing for just for the price of a coffee a month. You could support <laughs> Jay and Eddie in in their crippling Pokemon card addiction. We'll we'll stick some sad music in the background and yeah. <laughs> um, it, hark back to those give a man a fish elite for a day yeah. videos. <sighs> so yeah, if if you would like to join up, the there is extra content for doing it. It is not just to support our uh, our habits. You do get something out of it, and we're we're hoping to start putting more up on Patreon as well uh, as we as we progress. More polls, that kind of thing, Q and A's. It's just figuring out the best way to do it at the minute for us. But you do get you do get additional episodes that that aren't out for a month before everyone else. So there is a bit of an incentive, and we'll shout you out, and you can. Name yourself whatever the hell you want, and we'll have to say it at the end of every video, which I'm sure is an incentive for some people. But with that said, I think we'll probably call it there. I don't know if there's nothing else gaming-related this week that you want to touch on. No, not particularly. I know, it's it's not been a good week for uh, Pokemon fans, has it? The, a load of the 151 stuff's been delayed. I think the Ultra Boxes aren't coming out till the end of the month, the Zapdoc's that DOS box isn't coming out until the end of the month. Or no, sorry, the uh, it's the other one, isn't it? Yuri Geller. His box isn't coming out until later now. Ah. But yeah, it's it's not great. And then there's the heartbreak of the Van Gogh. 
Oh, thing. did you see the videos of it? The people are just disgusted. I did. Absolute animals, every single one of them. I hopped online because I was like, the Pokemon Center had said that you got a free promo with every relevant purchase, which was limited to about 30 items. I was on a work meeting at the time, um, and I was like, I'll just keep the page open and I will refresh it. And I'll drop something relatively nice in the basket, sort of like just so I've got a bit of memorabilia and I get the promo card uh, to find out that when I refreshed it after my meeting 30 minutes later, that every single thing was out of stock. And the cheapest version of the promo card you could find on eBay was 300 quid. So I think I speak heartily for everyone in the Pokemon community when I say, fuck you, you scalping bastards. Did you the people that went to the actual museum though? Like none yeah. of them were Pokemon fans, were they? They're no. like scrabbling about with frames on their arms, like hitting each other with them, and it was worse than Black Friday. And it's all to yeah. get a promo card. That I mean, it is a lovely pro. I'd love to have that promo card, but I know I'm never going to get it now because unless people stop buying them, which they won't, because and I know why. I know what it's like. It's easy for me to sit here and go, "Don't buy them," and then they won't sell them at that price. But if you really want something and you've got the money to buy it, you will buy it because that's just human yeah. nature. And yeah, it, it sickens me to see people doing that. And I'm surprised that the Pokemon Center didn't do more to stop it happening on, on the website. But there's only so much you can do, isn't there, when people are employing bots and stuff that go in and buy things a dozen times on a dozen, dozen different accounts and all that kind of thing. And yeah, I've resigned myself to the fact I'm never going to get that card now. But I'm, I mean, if I'd have been near the Van Gogh Museum at the time, because we do go relatively close to there every couple of years, I'd have probably gone and tried to get one. And I'd have been in the middle of all that carnage. And I, I'll tell you for a fact, I'd have been swinging by the end of it. Because <laughs> just seeing the, like, the, it was disgusting. You could tell there was, like, the odd person who was a genuine Pokemon fan that was quite timid and just trying to get what they wanted to get so that they got the card. And then there's these idiots with like 20 frames under their arms, pushing people out of the way and slamming into each other and stuff. And again, you've got to blame it on the organizers to an extent for letting this happen. It should have been all queued and it should have been, you stand in your queue, you get a raffle ticket, you can go in or whatever, you know, like they do with the, the wristbands and stuff when they do promotions over here for that kind of thing. Yeah pure chaos and it's unnecessary and the sad thing is is that they will always win because they will always find people that will buy them eventually yeah and i just hope i i think it'll plateau they won't still keep getting 300 quid for them surely but i'd i'd absolutely love it if if the pokemon company came out and went oh yeah there's nothing rare about those promos we've just printed off like another three million of them and we're going to be giving them away on the website for the next year with every purchase and then immediately people are just stuck with a load of stuff they don't want. And then the only people I'd feel for then are the ones that had paid like 400 quid just to get it early. Yeah, and I, I think that is the thing. Obviously, as as a collector, it is always nice to have that that rare piece as part of your collection. Um, and if they do decide to just say, do you know what, we're just going to reprint it and it's going to be essentially worthless, do you know, I'll, I'll still have one. Because yeah, it is it is a stunningly good promo and it's a nice little nod to the sort of collaboration they've done with the Van Gogh Museum. Mm. Um but it's just fans ruin everything. They really do. They're not even fans, are they? It's no. it's the same in every walk of life. I mean, in wrestling, for example, 
it used to be. I mean, when when we were younger, me and our, one of our mutual friends, Kev, went to see a show in Newcastle, and we went round the gates at the back before the show. And as people were arriving, the, some of the wrestlers were coming over and talking to us through the gates. There's a little crowd of us, and they'd sign a couple of things for you if you got anything. And when we met a few of them and had a little chat and stuff, and it was really nice. And they didn't used to mind doing that because it was you got a a belt signed or you got a video signed or something and 99 times out of 100 that was a genuine fan that was going to keep that item and cherish it but now you get um, people doorstepping them and as soon as they get off airplanes with like 20 Funkos oh can you sign all these and it's like well why do you need 20 Funkos of one person other than to sell them on eBay for an extortionate price and a lot of the wrestlers have now just said look if you see me in an airport don't interact with me because I'm not going to talk to you and I think that's sad now because that's ruined it for people who just randomly would see them in there and be like, oh, my God, that's my hero. I want to go and talk to them. And now they're getting ignored because all these scalpers are just push people too far. And, yeah, it, it really saddens me. But it's not an exclusive thing to the Pokemon world and it's not an exclusive thing to the wrestling world. It is a, a, a everything, isn't it? It's, it's across everything. And this is why comic cons and things like that are so good because it's organized and it's i know sometimes well most of the time it's like you need to pay 15 dollars to get it signed but at least then these scalpers are having to invest money in it to potentially sell it on and it might put a few of them off and the fact you have to queue up half a day to get it and all this kind of thing it's the nicest way to do it i suppose to ensure that genuine fans get to get what they want yeah, it just reminds me of the, the PS5 fiasco a couple of years back. So when PS5 chips were particularly hard to come by, obviously there was a massive scarcity with the consoles. And obviously people did what they've done with the Pokemon example and with the wrestling example. They employed bots to just, every time a PS5 became available on a website, it got bought up. They then, instead of the 500 quid the console cost, they were on eBay for 1500 quid. And it's just like, I get that people want to make a quick buck, but it, it's it's someone else's interest at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's someone else's passion. And potentially that was someone else's potential Christmas present, particularly around like the PS5 and stuff like that. And you are pushing people who can barely afford to game anyway in like, the way the economy is going at the minute. And you're saying, oh, well, I want to charge you triple. Oh, lovely, but humanity, bit of compassion, maybe. Yeah, I think we best call it there because this is going to take me forever and a day to edit. Thank you for listening, as always. And that's goodbye from me. That's goodbye from me. (laughs) 